Welcome to the podcast, Low Code Talks with Creatio. I'm your host, Andy Zambito, CSO Americas at Creatio. And today our topic will be digital by design, building the data-driven organization with Jim Love, CIO and Chief Content Officer, IT World Canada. Welcome, Jim. Um, I'm Jim Love. I'm I'm a fellow of a consulting management uh, uh, association here in Canada. I'm CIO and Chief Content Officer. Um, as you pointed out, I'm a, a writer and musician in there. Or as somebody said, can't you hold a job? I, I, I do a lot of things. I'm I'm interested in a lot of things. And one of the things I, I've done is is uh, in the past a little while is I, I wrote a book called Digital Transformation in the First Person. And the reason I called it Digital Transformation in the First Person was because it was about the digital transformation I made of a company that I, I became, as I said, an accidental entrepreneur. I ended up buying half this company. Uh, don't ask me why I bought a publisher. There's an old joke in publishing that if you, uh, if you win, get a million dollars, how do you, what do you do with it? Well, you keep publishing till it's gone, you know, <clears throat> um, and it, not, not the, the best, not the best investment choice in the world, but a fun one in the long run. Let's talk about this this thing that, that I'm here to talk about. And it's called it data-driven, building a data-driven organization. And it starts with this, or my, my best slide is, how do you build a data-driven company and not go broke doing it? Because it's really fun to talk about, well, you know, Amazon does this and Google does this. But the average company owner, somebody owned, somebody who's running a company, wants to know, how can I do this without going broke? And it, you, you know, I got to back up a little bit to where the book came in. And this is, I called it, in the first person, because this is real life. This is not a theory. This is I'm I'm not, I'm not a theoretician. This is not a, a passionate thing. I'm 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 a CIO. I I don't have passion. It, I looked at this thing and I said, We're, things are crumbling around us. Imagine your own disruption. You've invested in this business. You're just about to lose it all. And why? Because here's you can see it in the data. And here's the data. The decline in readership that happened, if you'll notice, I bought into the business about 2011, you'll be able to see 2010 up there, and that giant flushing sound you see is people going, stop reading print. The New York Times, the LA Times, look at that cascade. This is not a waterfall, folks. This is the data that shows what's happening to print. This is the wonderful time I came into print. But, but certainly the digital advertising revenue will save us. Well, no, it won't. Because this is in millions of dollars, what was happening to advertising revenue, and you can see it declining. And I, I split it between online and print, and you'll see that although there's more online advertising, it's growing small, at a, or a much smaller rate, or for a slower rate. Why? Well, because <laughs> digital advertising is now a commodity in there. Um, and so, and if you've ever seen a movie about newspapers, somebody yells, stop the presses. That's exactly what we did. We stopped printing. Now, this sounds really great. And you say, yeah, of course. And it's our hindsight bias. It really sounds like a really good idea. Nobody else in the world had done this in a major publication yet. We had to go into our current owner and announce that we were going to lose something like $3 million in revenue from ads. Now you pick that up as part of your job. I'm still working for this company. And I got to go in with the then president and say, the only solution, because the numbers tell us, you, the, the, the numbers don't lie. The data does not lie. And the owner's sitting there going, well, we're going to part with $3 million in revenue to save the company? This is when it gets real. And that's when we, we actually ended up buying the company at that point because we believed in it. We wrote the book about it. You can read it in the book. But we had achieved a transformation. We weren't just a publisher. We were not just a, we were a digital platform. 
We were a digital platform that would work to inform, engage, and connect with our readers. And everybody says it, your real asset is your database and your knowledge. Yeah, your, our asset was our database. We had no, we had no other assets. Our database, our knowledge, and the insights that it represents. And we could afford to do nothing short of, in that competitive world, give an incredible customer experience. None of this, a friend of mine wrote a book called The Customer is Bothering Me. And, and that's what, that's what many, it feels like in many businesses. But you can't do that in the digital world. And why not? Well, if you study any, I'll go, this is my, 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 I was a professor for a short period of time. So, you, so you'll have to get my, my professor lesson, lesson on Porter. If you studied business, you studied P Porter and he's a genius. And he said, hey, this is what competition's good. Industry rivalry's good. That's at the center of this. And there are four other forces you need to bargain with. Bargaining power of your suppliers, you know, your, the bargaining power of, of, your, uh, of your customers, the, the threat of substitutes, the threat of new entrants in there. And that's what you have to balance. Except in the digital world, that doesn't work. In the digital world, the, bar the customer has the bargaining power. The forces, Luke, the force is not in balance. You're in hyper competition and the bargaining power of your customers will not go away. And the digital customer is unique. They are empowered, they are demanding, they are impatient, and they're invisible. Invisible. Why? Well, you don't see them. They are a ping on your site. Who is this person? They ping your site. 57% of purchase decisions, of purchase decisions, are made before the customer even talks to the supplier. This, so we now have what you know what what we'll call a new chapter in our, our 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 piece. We were digitally transformed. We had to become data driven, and that meant. And again, everybody tosses this stuff up like it's it, this is in real time. Digital processes have to happen. You have to not talk about agile. You have to become agile. You have to be adaptive. Because those signals that those digital signals you're getting, you have to move as fast as they, they do in there. And you have to leverage the data for competitive advantage. All sounds nice. How do you do it? You know, how do you, we, we started, and it, it's not just automation. We took our, our subscriber database and we put that automated big deal. I've been doing that all my life. But what does it mean to be data driven? And this is what I come up with, which was this idea that, the only value from data analytics, the only value from data analytics, this is in my opinion, comes from how we leverage the information, not just the information, but the insight that we get to transform our business. The only value from data analytics is the when we use that information and insight to transform our business in there. And I called it the new KPIs. And that's in the, the new book. This is every author has got to have a conceit. This is mine. The new KPIs are knowledge that predicts or influences and anything else is, is not playing. Well. And don't forget the world we're in. If you come to my website, you, you, you've got to, first we have to win the Google search war. So we've got to, we've got to get you there. The next thing in a, in about three seconds, you're going to look at that list of Google lit articles and you're going to pick mine or not. And then when you get to the, to the page, you are going to read it or go. That's, that's the immediacy in there. And that's, that's, that's what we're doing. And so what if we could 
in that short period of time, truly understand the customer's needs from their behavior? What if we could assess this in real time? You know, what if we could build not just automation, but efficiency into our organization? And what if we could create a recommendation engine to keep them there longer, show them new stuff in there? What if we could anticipate their needs? You know, what if we could make this a personalized offering in there? And, and then could we do that at web speed? And my staff said, you're nuts. <laughs> but, but it's not nuts. That's what it means to be a data-driven company. The experience, the handshake, the, the encounter with the customer in that brief seconds has to do a lot of things. <clears throat> so what keeps you from doing this? This is, this is in our, what keeps you from moving forward in there? What keeps companies from doing this? And I'll give you a hint. It's not money. It's not just money in there. So here's the first thing. It's not just money. Any idea how much companies spend on data analytics and data? And I'll go back over this and I'll give you a history. of It's a high number. When I first started out in this industry, we were doing data warehouses. It would take us six to eight weeks to, to just to formulate one question because we'd go to the data scientists, we'd, we'd put together the algorithms, you put together what was called a cube in those days, you would make sure that you cleansed and it did all your ETL routines, brought them all in and all that sort of stuff. And it ended up with a with a, a fair whack of, of work just to do one question. Things got a little faster as we go through, but, but it's still, you know, and there's software, hardware, all of these things, the cloud is not free, it may be cheaper, but it's not free. By 2022, we the statistic estimates we're going to be spending 274 billion dollars on data and data analytics billion with a b in there and as one senator in the us once said a billion dollars here a billion dollars there soon you're talking about real money right 274 billion dollars so we must be like super duper we just how good are we doing at this well, the number of companies that call themselves data-driven decreased in that period. Decreased in that period. It declined from 37.1% to 31% in one survey. In the Harvard Business Review survey said 72% of survey participants reported that they have yet to forge a data-driven culture. 69% reported they have not created a data-driven organization. 53% state that they're not treating data as a business asset. And 52% admitted they aren't competing on data and analytics. That's what you get for $274 billion. You know, it's not the money. The money is an excuse. And, and that's what we had to figure out being a small company that you had to find a better way of doing this, or you have to start answering questions directly. And so I don't ask questions like, what's our barrier that's coming up? I tend to talk directly to my staff and to my, my, the people who work with me. I say, we know it's the right thing to do. Why do we suck at it? If you're gonna be data-driven, data-driven is looking in a mirror. And, and when I say these things, sometimes people get upset on my staff and things like that. They, and they get used to it after a while because you don't, progress by looking at the stuff you do and patting yourself on the back. You progress because you look at it and you say, how can we be better? 
And so we ask questions like, with, with that are blunt and abrupt. So what? Who cares? How do we do this? And that's, that's one of the first things to do in getting a, to a data-driven culture. You don't have to be as abrupt as me, but you do have to call things as they are. Forget the fancy terms, forget that. Fix yourself on data and what data tells you. And data speaks directly. You know, and even then, you know, the, we talk about the reasons for this failure. And, and these are, I pulled these, I've been through seven or eight, 10 studies and all that sort of stuff. And you get, and, or, and I've been doing this for quite a while. So you start to pick up what, you know, on what, uh, what people are saying about, about what the reasons for this fail. Architecture, you know, management lacks vision. Uh, we don't have the right use cases calculated. There's no analysis strategy. There's too few analysis professionals. We only had more people. We only spent more money. We data cleansing, and you can sit around and and moan about data cleansing for for hours and weeks in there because data is never clean, and, and you never have enough, or you have too much in there. The financial gain, you don't. You, what's the business case? It's unknown in there. Um, ethical, social, and legal issues. Fair enough to think about. You know, but handling data has its own issues in there. Um, and data analytics isn't part of the core business. It's, it's not embedded in there, the culture in there. We haven't aligned the company culture. Those are the 10 common reasons. And I think you'll find them in there. And I don't mean to dismiss them, but sometimes we spend our time, as one client said to me one time, admiring the problem. So what are you gonna do about it? And I, I, I broke it down into three areas. And there are three things that if you look at this and, and Yes, I'm not trying to trivialize this, but if but if you look at three things that you focus on in and 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 you, you you focus on these areas, I think you can make great progress. Will you get everything? I don't know. But can is the 80/20 rule here or the 90/10 rule? Probably. And this has been, you know, the three things that you could you could practically address. And whether and you know, the big question I always get is, you know, who leads this? Is it is it management? Is it the executive? Is it can I help lead it? Everybody can contribute at this. I'll, I'll leave it at that. So anybody who understands these can help their organization move faster, better uh, towards being a data driven organization. People. Number one thing in there, people. And, and we saw it in there. Data analytics, not part of the core business is not part of the culture in there. Why? Why doesn't it work this way? Well, you know, we're not carbon-based computers. And, and that's the first thing to get, get, that we have to get through our minds is that data, you know, Aristotle said, the understanding moves nothing in there. You know, people have known for, for millennia that, that the brain of people, we are emotional creatures, we are not logical creatures. And how can I prove that to you? Well, at least probably half of you thought that that responded with 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 a simple answer to a question that that says our brains don't think first mathematically. Um, here's here's a classic one: all roses are flowers. Some flowers fade quickly, and therefore some roses fade quickly. If you give that to you, to my class at, at at Waterloo where I taught, I inevitably people would argue with me when I told them that's not true. Why? Well, because all roses are flowers, correct. Some flowers fade quickly, yes. But some flowers doesn't have to include the set of roses. A mind that thinks in data will solve that problem correctly. But 
Our minds don't work like that. And that's okay. That's not, that's not a problem. Our senses don't tell us the truth. And, and, and how can you build a data-driven organization when we're hardwired to not be data-driven? And that's just the fact. And like I said, this is this buddy of mine here is Aristotle at what 2,300 years ago, or, or you know, um, and he came up with this idea that 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 you know, and, and all of the stuff. If you've ever written an essay, you you used, used Aristotle. You, you're you're a genius in in Greek culture, because you said you've had somebody said to you all of the things in your essay have to be relevant, sufficient, but they also have to be acceptable, and that's where the human mind fails because we don't think statistically or logically. We use heuristics. We use rules that we've learned and our experience always trumps the data. And if you just want a, a great, uh, you know, a, a, a great example of that, would you rather have a hamburger that is 80% lean beef? Would you like that one? If you're, if, unless you're vegetarians out there, sorry, I'm a vegetarian, so he's the wrong. Or would you like a hamburger that's 20% fat? Which one would you like? 20% fat or 80% lean beef, except they're the same thing. And if you admit to yourself, you wanted the one that was 80% lean beef, it's exactly the same. Our minds don't work like that. Matter of fact, we have, there's a whole list of biases and this is the 40 minute lecture, so I can't give you them all, but but these are all things that, that you have, you, you, from confirmation to status quo, fear of loss, we we are we have so many biases written into our brains because of the way they work. And a wonderful man, Daniel Kahneman, and I highly recommend the book. Said it simplified. It didn't simplify. He, he there's a great deal of data behind what he does. But he says you can think of it, and not that we have two brains. We don't have two brains. We have two systems. System one and system two. And system one is the one that that two plus two. You, you answered four before you even thought. That it, it, it drives for you, it moves you forward. And it, it's evolved over time when it learned when things rustle in the bushes run, you know, you know in there. That's system one. And that's a, that's a mind that has been built for millennia. And it handles all kinds of problem solving. But when it has a difficult problem, it substitutes an easier problem. When it says, when it sees the pond problem, it says what you really want is half a 48. And you don't even notice it happening. And it, it doesn't respect or basic statistical rules at all. It can't, it, 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 it opts for the 80% lean beef. It, it just doesn't know how to do that. But it also mistakes the ease of solving a problem with certainty. So the faster you can solve that problem, the more certain you are. And sometimes the more wrong you are, the more certain you are, which is why that, you know, 80% of people think they're above average drivers. And if you do some basic math, you will find out why that's wrong. And it'll find a cause and effect relationship where none exists. And when you confront it, it'll rationalize it. You know, it also is self-centered and has an uncharitable view. It's why, and you know, and it, it's based on the fact that what we experience and what we remember are different. If you've ever had a great meal in a restaurant, just a wonderful time, you had the night was going great. And then if you're, if you're in one of the restaurants in, in, in Toronto near us and probably like other places, what happens at the end of the night? The, the the guy disappears somehow. Disappears and the waiter disappears and 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 then you can't get that cup of coffee. And then the owner's over there and you're waving at him, saying, "Come on, can we just get a cup of coffee? We need to get to the theater or wherever we're going." Remember when we went to the theater? You know, and they give you that dull cup of coffee. And you know, the last five minutes you you have the coffee, it sucks. You 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 walk out of there. What do you say? We're never going back. 
terrible experience. No, it wasn't a terrible experience. 55 minutes of that hour were a great experience. Five minutes were a bad experience and that will color everything. We live in our memories. Now that's okay when you're, when you're picking restaurants, but when you're going through data, that's dangerous. So we're not sophisticated carbon-based computers. Processes, that's our second piece in there that we have to conquer. Processes, doing it by the book in there. And no matter how much you talk about organizations being flat, there are still, there's, there are hierarchies in organizations in most organizations to this day. And if you pulled off a per perfectly flat organization, good for you, I haven't done it yet. And there's just lots of reasons why not. And here's one I took off the internet. This is a standard chart in, in there. So now let's talk about communication and how processes work. Processes are owned at the bottom of this by the people in, in, that are way down in the hierarchy. And so if something goes wrong in this one, it's got to find its chain all the way up to the top where somebody else will then, the person at the top will go down and, and talk to the person in that other place way across the organization. And then that person will probably have to talk to somebody else and come back with some other things in there and change their processes to solve this problem. That will have to be approved by senior management. And that will have to get back, cascade its way down where you put a new procedure in place because that's how you run a company by processes if you're going to do it by processes and procedures. Guess what? I told you my situation. I got three to five seconds to make that contact with the breeder and get them there. I, and if you're in e-commerce, you have seconds. You do not have weeks and months to, to, to detect problems and, and start to work there. So our, our idea of, of managing a, a company logically by processes is not, not going to work. You know, you need to manage not, not by processes, you need to manage by algorithms. And by the way, algorithms are better at managing than people. And that's just a fact because this is what that structure does to you. And you know it, you know, I have to check back up here and all this sort of, you know, and, and by that time you just want out of this, this thing and you're going to give it a bad rating. And that's what it, what a truly digital company has to fight against. Nobody reads the manuals. There isn't enough time to do this. An algorithm will always outperform an expert. And I, I'll, you can take that on faith or send me a note and I'll tell you why I can prove that to you in there. Uh, but if they're going to be guided, let the people be, if they must make a decision, let them make it by culture. Let them uh, equip them to make the right decision, equip their system one mind to say, check with system two. And when they need to choose, give them the data to make a wise investment choice. And that wise investment choice is always in favor of the lifetime value of the customer. That's two items that you have to change to become a data-driven company. And third, and the one that we're going to spend a lot of time on these is technology. And technology is, you know, you're all being, here, what our employees or customers are used to at home, we've all got phones, we've got all this sort of stuff, we're great. And, and this may be an old joke for some of you, but, but the Flintstones were an old cartoon about, about you know, bedrock and, and, and cave people and stuff like that. And that's what we feel like when we encounter our legacy systems. We're in the, we're in the, the, the space age and the, and the digital age with our, with our home devices, and we're in the stone age with our company devices. And, you know, but the question is, how much money do we spend just running our legacy, legacy systems in there? 
So that's how much do we, time do we spend with our legacy systems? Those legacy systems are important. They're significantly important to us. Uh, go back the, past the end because they have hidden consequences. They, they give us that poor customer experience. They give the negative employee experience. Who wants to work for a company that has crappy technology, especially younger people? You have no mobile in, in a lot of companies in there. You have inefficient processes. And, and who can talk about algorithms when our processes aren't automated? And you can't scale. And you have security issues and risks in, in this. There. And, and a lot of what you see above, above, it's like an iceberg. A lot of what's really dragging you down is below the surface. It's security issues and risks and the inability to integrate. We do a survey called the Canadian CIO Census, and I've, I've, I've picked as low as 60 as an average in there, in the 60s, and others, most, most other surveys come up to 70 to 80%. And that's just, that's all the money spent just keeping the lights on. So how do you deal with that? And I'm going to start with, with a little bit of a prescriptive piece in here, because this is something we, that, that in my mind, why the, the low code, no code is one of the things that will help us through this endeavor. Because, and I, I've been talking about this for 25 years, you need to isolate the legacy. How do you, how do you get off a dead horse? You know, how, you, you get off the dead horse. <laughs> you don't try and drag it across the finish line in there. Stop investing in the legacy, seal it up. Make, do no harm if, you know, in the medical terms, start investing every dime you've got in the new but you also have to start building something a central data store and the central data store is important because it's the central source of truth and if we're going to have a data-driven company we have to have a central source of truth so you have to start building that data store in there and that means communicating with with using apis and using and 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 things like that that can help you communicate with your old your old but not reinvesting in the old and you know shrink the legacy over time and this is exactly what we did and this is what a small business can do what relatively mid-sized like we're, we're we're you know millions of dollars but we're we're not we're not we're not google let me tell you that but 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 we shrunk our legacy and you do that over time how do you do it the same way you lose weight not by doing a crash diet you do it by doing it bit by bit by bit every i was telling my my, my folks that no big one decision kills you just a million paper cuts kill you. So kill your, your legacy with a million paper cuts. You need an investment architecture. And I've coined this phrase D-U-H for cloud and mobile, because it's duh, like if you're not investing in cloud and mobile, um, ignore everything I've said, because we're, we're, I'm sorry, I can't help you. Uh, but but that's the duh architecture and you know in there. And I think even everybody's sort of got that, but open. We, we, we did a lot of stuff with open source, but I'm much more interested in open standards because when you have open standards, you never have a legacy again because you, you and, and that's what I used to say to people. They'd say, you know, how do I how do I judge a SaaS provider? I said, ask them how you can get out. Ask your SaaS divide, provider how you get out of this arrangement. If they can't answer that, you don't want them. Why? Because you don't want to be locked into anybody. And so open standards keep you from being locked in. And then you build modular integrated frameworks, open APIs, responsive mobile frameworks, and you have your data assets as a central source of truth. And that to me is, is the promise of low and no code.
is being able to to do those those things in across your organization and that's how you can build a data-driven company by addressing those two things and not go broke now i'm going to just recap that the only value from data analytics comes from how we leverage the information and the insight to transform our businesses not to to i'm not talking about incremental if you're in the incremental game uh, god bless you i i wish you the best I don't see how you can survive in, in, in a hyper-competitive world. It's you have to transform your businesses, but you need to leverage, then that's the value of data and the value of data analytics. Don't admire the problem. You know, this was built by people. It can be, it can be dealt with by people. And so no matter where you are in your organization, you need to, to help move that forward in there. And just because somebody else hasn't done their job, that doesn't mean you you don't do yours. And so here's what my 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 ten, 10 steps for doing this. Uh, you know, you take stock and you take steps. Look at where you are and where you want to go to and focus on outcomes. You'd be surprised at how much Oscar Wilde said one time, a, a fool knows the price of everything and the value of nothing. And a fool knows how much you spend, not how much you get from that spending. And we have to start talking about outcomes, customer satisfaction, excellent experiences, and how much are we willing to invest in that? And that's the path to business and customer outcomes. There's a longer workshop I do on that because it, it's not as obvious as it seems. Measure everything. <clears throat> and if you, can't, if you can't measure it, learn to measure it. There's a great book by Doug Hubbard called, you can, I think it's called, You Can Measure Anything in Business or something like that. Look for Doug Hubbard. Just he'll he's one of the brilliant guys in, in this area. And he said, you know, measure everything. Get, start taking stock of that. Isolate your legacy systems. Stop the bleeding in there. And we talked about that earlier. Create that single source of truth and make it visible. And I did this, you know, so so we always had one source of data. That means amalgamating your spreadsheets and all that stuff into one place and, and building that 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 central source of truth where everybody at least has the same number to start with. And, you know, and then demonstrate the discipline of data. Change the conversation. And this is where you can, no matter where you are in an organization, you can have an impact by refusing to, to, to succumb to your system one mind by looking at stuff and challenging people and saying, why? Why do you say that? What data supports what you're saying? And that's the conversation we built. And we, 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 we've come a long way in that. And, and I, I will not, everybody knows now, I'm, I'm the Bloomberg of, of meetings. And Michael Bloomberg's famous for saying, in God we trust, everybody else brings data. And people know it. After a while, when you start insisting on data, people will come at and they'll, they'll start talking to you that way. And they'll start being proud of it. Test relentlessly. Test everything relentlessly. Test your own ideas first and then and, and in front of everybody. And don't be afraid of, of, of them being wrong. That, that's learning. But, but above all, create small victories, pilots and measures against the baseline. And once you've measured something, and the trick is you have to measure against the baseline. That's why I said the early piece was measure. Measure now. Get everybody to accept the measurement of the way you are and then show them from a small victory how we moved that forward. And that's important. Measure first, do second, uh, show the small victories and then tell that story. 
Tell that story everywhere. You'd be amazed at how, how little, you know, how little stories start to define a culture and change a culture. Did you see what happened when we did this? Did you see what happened when we did this? I, I came up with one, one, one statistic from our readers. I said, hey, you know something? Our readers like to read this, this, and this. And I actually went back and showed the differences for our writers in what our readers read based on, on some analytics we, done, we did. And it was different than what the writers thought. And I, I got resistance at first, but, but now I can start, when I start to see some of the things where we knock it out of the park because we've done some of those things, I tell the story. I send an email. I tell everybody. Find allies. This is, this is not a single person's game. This is, you build coalitions of success if you want to do any change in a company. And you realize even if you're the owner, you need coalitions of success. Find allies. And then rinse and repeat. Measure on and, and, and demonstrate that, celebrate it, and keep doing it. And that's, that's the secret to building a, a data-driven organization in there. And what do you get from it? Oh, man, if we could do this in that five seconds, understand a customer's needs. And that's, that's, I will settle for nothing less than that. When the customer gets in there, I'm going to present the right thing to them in there. Am I there yet? No. Am I going to keep working? Small victories. I'm going to keep working at it. I'm going to be able to assess my risks in real time in a business. What a great thing to be able to do, you know, build not just automation, but efficiencies into our operations. Talk about productivity and efficiency in there, in there, whether it's our programmers. And I said this yesterday, no programmer wants to spend their day pulling bugs out of code. Give them a, the right, give them tools that where they can actually reuse modules, give them things where they can do that. And they'll be, they'll be, they'll unleash their creativity, create that recommendation engine, anticipate the needs of people, personalize, speak directly to that client, personalize to them and operate at web speed. And that's, those are the outcomes we seek in search of exceptional customer experience. So just to, to, to wrap up here in there, the pandemic proved we are no longer limited by technology. And you know where, and you may say that the low code, no code is not everywhere yet, or analytics are not everywhere, and AI is not everywhere. Stop admiring the problem. We are no longer limited by technology. We are limited by the combination of our determination and our imagination. Our determination and our imagination. And, and the, I'll start with the question people ask when they started. You know, who leads this? Everybody, because leadership is not a position. Leadership is what you get when you earn it. If you're if you're in a, if you're walking out in front of a, a, a group of people and you look back and there's nobody there all of a sudden, you're just out for a walk. You know, people have to follow you and they have to want to follow you. And leadership is demonstrated by admitting failure without accepting defeat. And that's 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 my message for you. So if you want to lead, earn leadership. And if you have to choose one, choose to lead. That's how you get there. Jim, thank you for sharing such great insights with our audience. To get more information about our products and services, visit our website, creatio.com. For more insight, check our digital event page and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Talk soon.